It's the first day of 2017. Can you believe it? Are you here? Are you awake? I know you might have stayed up till midnight last night. As I was hopping in bed at 9.30 last night, I, th I asked Mona, will New Year come without us staying awake for it to arrive? And she assured me it would. And sure enough, we're here. So some of you may have stayed up till midnight and brought in the New Year. Others of you, like Joel said, may have been in bed at 9. <clears throat> but I'm glad you're here. Today is a, is a wonderful opportunity for us as a church family to start out 2017 remembering our Savior's death until he comes. And so you'll see communion tables are set up around the room here. And after my <coughs> short devotional, George, don't say anything. After a devotional this morning, we're going to partake of communion together and, and give you opportunity as you feel ready in your own heart to come to one of the tables and partake while we sing worship songs. This morning, though, I want us to be mindful of what it is Christ came for. And I want us to think about timing. Have you ever been in a situation where timing was everything? Like right there, I almost tripped over that speaker and <clears throat> almost fell in timing on it. Have you ever been in a situation where timing was everything? Mona and I, I'm going to move that a little bit. Mona and I uh, experienced this uh, about almost three weeks ago. We, uh, as many of you know, we became grandparents for the second time. Keenan and Courtney adopted a beautiful baby girl, and she was born December 12th, almost three weeks ago, in Atlanta, Georgia. And so they flew out on that Monday, the 12th, right after she was born, to go be with her and to see her. And then they wanted Mona and I to come to Atlanta and, and to spend a, a little bit of time as they brought the baby home. We're actually to a home from the hospital in Atlanta. They needed to wait for all the paperwork and everything to go through. And so Monday, after we dropped them off at the airport, I was looking online and trying to figure out airfare. And, and the timing was important in this case because many of you remember that on December the 14th, we had an incredible snowstorm. And that was forecasted on the 12th. And, and so I saw that coming and I did not want to get stuck. I did not want to uh, have the airport close on us in Redmond, so we decided we would fly out of Portland. And we noticed, I looked at the timing of the storm, and, and Portland was supposed to get that storm later on Wednesday afternoon, whereas Central Oregon, it was going to come early in the morning on Wednesday. So I thought this was going to be perfect timing. We were going to beat that storm, get out of the airport, out of Portland, and, and be okay. So Tuesday afternoon comes. We load up the car, and we drive to Portland. I had purchased tickets for 1041, what I thought was Wednesday morning, a.m., and we were to arrive what I thought was 6.15 p.m. in Atlanta, their time. And so we took our time getting over to Portland. We did a little bit of Christmas shopping. We went out to a nice restaurant. After all, we were new grandparents for the second time, and so we celebrated at a nice restaurant. And we finally got to our hotel where I had purchased a park-and-fly for us, and we were going to spend the night, get up the next morning. They were going to shuttle us to the airport. We could leave our car there. It was going to be wonderful. 
So we take our time. We eat at this restaurant. We probably get to our hotel about 9.30 or so. By the time we check in, get our luggage upstairs into our room, I went back down and I parked the car into this designated area for the park and fly. And I came back into the, to the room and, and all of a sudden my phone goes off. And I look at it and it's an alert from the airlines. And it says, your, your flight has been delayed from 1041 till 1110. And I thought to myself, that's weird. How do they know that tomorrow morning our flight is going to be delayed? So I looked at the alert again, and I looked more closely this time, and it said, your flight that leaves at 10.41 p.m. Tuesday the 13th and arrives at 6.15 a.m. Wednesday the 14th in Atlanta has been delayed to 11.10 p.m. Oh, my word. I quickly thought, this can't be right. I quickly grabbed my tickets out of my briefcase, and I looked, and sure enough, I had booked a red-eye flight, not even knowing it. So I called the, the, the hotel lobby, and I said, we need a shuttle pronto to the airport, and, uh, and can you do that? And she said, sure, come right down. So we threw our suitcases back together. We went down to the lobby, tried to get our money back, but of course, it was after the cancellation time, and, and so uh, we paid a little extra for parking that week. But nonetheless, we got on that, on that shuttle, and, and to say that I was flabbergasted and frustrated and, and all worked up was probably an understatement. And the driver of that shuttle saw it in me, and he, I think, tried to comfort me, although this wasn't very comforting. He said, you know, if your flight hadn't been delayed, you wouldn't have a chance of making it. <laughs> Which I think he meant it nicely, but in my mind that meant there's a chance we might not make this thing, even though it's been delayed. So I'm, I'm just panicking. I want to reach over and I want to step on his foot so that he just goes 180 miles to the airport. And we finally get to the airport probably about oh, a little after 10 p.m. Our flight is to leave in just a little over an hour. And as we grabbed our luggage out of that shuttle, I just pictured a whole long line at the ticket booth, right? I mean, that's not what happens. So we go running in. And thank the Lord, there was nobody there. I mean, after all, it's 10.05 p.m. at night, and uh, this is probably the last flight that's going. So we walked right up. The guy at the ticket booth could recognize I was still very alarmed at this whole situation, and uh, he calmed me down. He finally was able to calm, and he said, you're fine. It's been delayed. Well, you're going to get checked in. You're fine. It's okay. So I could breathe a little bit, but not much. And sure enough, our flight left at 11.10. We got on that midnight flight. And I got to be honest with you, throughout the course of that night, as we were flying on the plane, there were times when I had to just pinch myself and go, this is real. I'm on a flight right now. I thought I was getting on a flight at 10.41 in the morning, but I'm on this flight right now, and we're going to get in at 6.15 a.m. in Atlanta. And I, and I think about that, and I go, you know, if that flight hadn't been delayed, I wouldn't have got an alert notice. If I wouldn't have gotten an alert notice, I would have still continued to think that we were flying out at 1041 a.m. the next day, and we would have showed up at the airport at 830 and been totally surprised that we missed our flight, and we would have been out of a lot of money and out of luck. We wouldn't have made it to Atlanta. So timing was everything. Have you ever been in a situation like that? where timing was everything. Maybe it's uh, uh, timing of a spouse 
that, that you met just when you thought all else was lost. Maybe it's the timing of a birth of a child. Maybe it's the timing of a job. Maybe it's the, the timing of provisions of your needs. I, I don't know what it might be, but where you recognize, oh my goodness, timing is everything. Well, this morning, I want to talk about this idea of timing being everything, and I want to consider God's perfect timing being everything. And we're going to look at this in Galatians chapter 4. Would you turn there with me? Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. What we have in verses 1 through 7 of this passage is this incredible idea that God's perfect gift came for the perfect reason at God's perfect time. God sent the perfect gift for the perfect reason at the perfect time. Notice what Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 says. Follow along with me. Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the dates set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God's timing is perfect. You talk to Kenan and Courtney, and I'm sure they are going to share a little bit more as the weeks go on, but you talk to them, and they waited over two and a half years to adopt this precious little baby girl. They didn't know it was going to be Scarlett. They didn't know it would be her, but they waited two and a half years. And if you've been in those situations, you know that two and a half years can seem like a thousand years, right? When you're waiting on something that you desire so strongly, so badly. But you talk to them, and they will say, we would wait even longer to have this exact precious baby girl. God's timing was perfect in their situation. But as we look at our passage today, what we discover is God's timing is perfect when he sent his son. See, God sent the perfect gift. Notice verse 4, what it says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. God sent Jesus Christ. We come today and we're going to partake of communion. And we're going to remember our Savior's death until he comes. We're going to remember that when Jesus came as a baby that first Christmas that we just finished celebrating, he came to die in our place. He came to be the sacrifice for our sins. He came because he was sent by God the Father, and he was sent by God as the perfect, the perfect gift. Number one, that means that he was perfect in his character. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble with this mic thing. It keeps falling off my ear. Need super glue or something. Anyway, Jesus came as the perfect gift, and he came as the perfect in character. Notice what it says. He was born of a woman. 
That means Jesus took on full humanity. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us that although he existed as God, he gave up the glory that was his as God and became humble to the point of, uh, or became a man and a servant of men and, and humbled himself even to the point of death. He gave up the glory that was his as God. He remained God, but he took on full humanity. And so Paul here says he was born of a woman. He became fully human, which means... He experienced the frailty. He experienced the weaknesses of humanity. He came to recognize temptation and understand it as he too was tempted. He became fully human. But notice it says he was also born under the law. Jesus was born in the day when the Old Testament law ruled. There were some 334 commands to follow to the perfect detail in the scriptures. And the Pharisees added thousands of different commands to that to make sure you didn't disobey the 334 commands. There were literally thousands of commands that a, that a devout Jewish person had to follow. Jesus was born under that. But here's the good news. Jesus is the perfect gift in that he was perfect in his character. He is without sin. Yes, he experienced temptation as human, as a, as a, in, in humanity. Yes, he was born under the law and had to be a follower of the law. And he did it absolutely perfectly. How do we know? Because the statement says this, God sent forth his son. This is the son of the living God. To put it in a different way, this is God the son. We know the Trinity, right? And we'll see the Trinity here in a moment because God not only sent his son, but to those who put their faith in Jesus, he sends them the Spirit, the third person of the one triune God. So here is God the Son. God is perfect, amen? He is sinless. He's absolutely holy. And by association, his Son is the same. In fact, I want to read for you what Charles C. Ryrie says about the sinlessness or the perfection of Jesus Christ. He says this, Sinlessness, that's easy for you to say. Sinlessness in our Lord means that he never did anything that displeased God, violated the Mosaic law under which he lived on earth, or in any way failed to show in his life that at all times the glory of God. Jesus himself said in John 8, 29, I always do the things that are pleasing to God. In John 15, 10, he says, I have kept my Father's commandments. Do you know that it is trial and it is crucifixion? Eleven times it is proclaimed Jesus is innocent. Six times, six times Pilate proclaimed it. Eleven times altogether. Paul says, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Peter says he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. The Apostle John in 1 John 3, 5 says, In him there is no sin. And the writer of Hebrews in 7.26 describes Jesus this way. He is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. Here's the deal. God sent forth his perfect, sinless holy, righteous Son. This is the perfect gift that God sent. For God so loved the world that he 
gave his only begotten son. See, what we come to understand is God sent a perfect gift, Jesus Christ, sinless, pure, holy, righteous. But he sent him for a perfect reason. Notice what verse 5 says. Verse 5 says, to redeem those who were under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. Redemption is one of those theological words that, that is good to know. Redemption means to be purchased with a price and to be set free. It has with it the idea of slaves being purchased by someone else in order to be set free. It was a, it was a practice in the day in which Paul wrote this letter. It was, a, it was a redemption to buy somebody for the purpose of setting them free. Well, in this chapter, what we recognize is that you and I, apart from Jesus Christ, were slaves. We're slaves. And so Paul starts out in verses 1 and 2, and he describes it this way. He describes this household concept. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the dates set by his fathers. Paul is referring to that time in a child's life back in these ancient days when a boy became a man. And it was much more celebrated. It was much more marked in that day. The Jewish uh, understanding was the bar mitzvah. Somewhere around the age of 12, a boy became Oh, isn't she precious? Even her cry is precious. <laughs> I didn't mean to draw attention, Courtney. I'm in trouble. Okay, where was I? What? Okay, the bar mitzvah. In the, Jew <laughs> In the Jewish understanding, around the age of 12, a boy would celebrate his bar mitzvah. It was a, it was a boy becoming a man. It was recognized. It was, it was understood. And, and no longer was he just the son of his father, but now he was also known as the son of the law. That means he was responsible in and of himself to follow the Old Testament law. The Greeks had a day called the Festival of, and I'll go try to, you won't know if I pronounce it right or wrong, so I'm just going to pronounce it. It was the Festival of the Apaturia. That sounds right, right? And, and, and somewhere around the age of 18, a, a father would determine that his son would, would become a man, and he would gather the, the friends and family, and they would have this festival. And, and, and it was now, he, he became not only a, a son of his father, but he became a son of the state on that day. But I think what Paul is talking about is the Roman concept called liberalia. Yeah, liberalia. You remember that. That is where a father would determine at whatever age he felt his son was ready. There was no set age, but he would determine by uh, that, by his son and, and the maturity level, that his son would become a man. And they would gather together and they would have this ceremony. And what is interesting is in this ceremony for the Romans, that child was adopted as not just a son but as an heir to everything that that father owned. 
So it was an adoption process, which is weird because it was a natural-born son, but it was at that point, whatever day that father chose, that that son became heir, adopted as the heir. And so that's the terminology that Paul is using here. The day that the father chose is like the day that God chose to send his son. Why? For the perfect reason that you and I, through faith in Jesus Christ, could be redeemed, bought out from under slavery to sin and death, and as Paul puts it, the elementary principles of this world. I believe there's many different ideas as what that could mean, but I believe what Paul ultimately means is prior to coming to know Christ Jesus as our Savior, we are enslaved to Satan and his cohorts. We are enslaved to sin. We are enslaved to death. That's the bottom line. But Jesus, God's perfect gift, came, died on the cross, purchasing us with his shed blood so that we could be redeemed from the slavery of sin and death to freedom in Christ Jesus. And notice, not just freedom, but notice what verse 6 says. Oh, the middle of verse 5. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption as sons, so that we might become children of God. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So then you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's that whole idea. So God sent the perfect gift, Jesus Christ, for the perfect reason, our redemption, that we might be adopted by God the Father as his kid. I'm a child of the king. If you know Jesus Christ, you're a child of the king. You are no longer a slave to Satan and his cohorts. You're no longer a slave to sin and to death. You are a child of God. And if you're a child of God, you are an heir of eternity with him. Praise God. See, it's the perfect gift given for the perfect reason. But notice the scripture says at the beginning of verse 4, it was at the fullness of time that God gave, that God sent forth Jesus. The fullness of time. This is the perfect time. Now, many have wrestled with, okay, why was that the fullness of time? You see, the Jewish people, they had been waiting for centuries, for thousands of years. Back in Genesis 3.15, they heard about this seed of the woman who would come and crush the serpent's head. They had been waiting for Messiah for many, 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 many years, thousands of years. There had been a time of silence between Malachi and Jesus coming There was no writings going on. There were no prophecies. There was nothing happening. 400 years. This is a long time. Two and a half years is nothing compared to how long they waited for Messiah to come. And then Jesus comes, God's perfect gift for the perfect reason. And we're told it's at the perfect time. Many have said that it's probable that that was the perfect time because of what the Greeks had done. See, the Greeks had brought in the Greek language which up until this time was the most specific language. It conveyed nuances of truth that no other language could. So the New Testament is mostly written in Greek to convey those nuances, a good time for Jesus to come. 
Some have said the Romans brought in a time of great peace. And beyond that, they had this road system which made travel easier and communication could spread out quicker. A perfect time for the Messiah to come. Others have said the Jewish people had come to the point now where they recognized they needed Messiah badly, that they could not keep the Old Testament law in and of themselves, and that things had gone from bad to worse under the Roman rule, and, and they were just at that point where they were longing for a Messiah like no other time. Dear church, here's the bottom line. Those things sound great, and, and, and they're probably part of it. But the ultimate truth is this. I don't know why that was the perfect time. I don't know why God chose at that moment to send Jesus Christ the perfect gift to redeem us the perfect reason. I don't know why. It's in his care. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. See, God is God. And all I can do is say, because the word of God says this was the perfect time, for God to send his perfect gift for the perfect reason of redeeming us, I have to go, amen. Amen. God's perfect timing. So i got to ask you, do you trust in God's perfect timing in your life? I mean, as you look over 2016, that's gone. It's, it's over. As you look over 2016, maybe you're going, you know, I've been waiting for God to give me an answer, and I thought it would happen in 2016, and it just didn't happen. I, I, I still don't have the answer. Well, can you at this moment trust in his perfect timing? I know young people, when they go to college and after they graduate from college, there's this time in which they're seeking the Lord. Lord, what am I supposed to do? And that can seem like forever as you're waiting on the Lord to open doors, right? Can you trust in God's perfect timing? Maybe you're single and you long for a spouse. Can you trust in God's perfect timing to bring you the one that's right for you? Maybe you're a, a married couple and you're longing to have children and it's just not happening. Can you trust in God's perfect timing? Maybe you are struggling financially, your job is almost over, or you've even lost your job. Can you trust in God's perfect timing? See, God knew when to send the perfect gift for the perfect reason. He certainly knows how to take care of you in his perfect timing. See, I don't know what you're involved with right now. I don't know what you're waiting on God for, but my encouragement this morning is from this day on, 2017, will you trust God's perfect timing in your life? Will you allow Him to work in ways that will blow you away later on? Will you trust in God? Maybe some of you are here and you're going, it doesn't seem like God's timing is perfect in my life. This last year, things have happened that I just can't even imagine. I didn't think they'd be happening right now. Maybe you've got some physical issues going on, and you're going, that doesn't seem like God's perfect timing in my life. Maybe you, you, you've, you've even heard the word cancer, and you're going, that just, God, I'm not supposed to have cancer. This just doesn't seem like your perfect timing. 
Maybe, maybe you've had the loss of a loved one over this last year and you're going, you took him or her too soon, God. It doesn't seem like your perfect timing. Can you trust in God's perfect timing? Recognizing by example when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us. To redeem us who were enslaved. Can you trust in God and in His perfect timing? So as we come to the communion table, you'll notice there are two tables up here. There's one table in the back. The worship team's going to come back up. And, and we're going to start off this year with a time of worship around communion. And I'm going to invite you to come to the communion table whenever you feel ready. And when you feel ready, you just come forward. But let me encourage you in two things. Number one, come to the communion table giving great praise and great thanks and great worship to a God who sent forth His Son to redeem us at the perfect time. See, the bread that we will partake reminds us of his body. The cup will remind us of his shed blood as we partake together. And I encourage you to worship the God of perfect timing when you come to the table. But secondly, as you come, let me encourage you to give yourself over to God's perfect timing. As you come and as you worship and as you remember our Savior's death until He comes, would you also say, I trust You, God. You sent forth Your Son at the right time for my redemption so I can trust You for Your timing in my life. Can you do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the precious gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much that you sent him for the right reason to redeem us from out from under slavery to sin and to Satan and to death and all these things that keep us from you. Thank you, Father, that you sent your son who is perfect, sinless as the sinless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Father, I just pray that as people come to this communion time, that you'd be honored, that you'd be pleased. Father, help our hearts as we come to the communion time. Help us, Father, to, to look in our lives and see where we might not be trusting you. And as we come, help us to come with complete trust in your perfect timing in our lives. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for redemption. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.